Area 941 podcast are produced and distributed by Community Powered 94.1 KPFA Radio. Please help support Area 941 at kpfa.org. I'm C.S. Song, KPFA's associate theater critic, and my guest in studio is the playwright and actor Nalaja Sun, whose one-woman piece, Pike Street, is now at Berkeley Repertory Theater through December 9th. Welcome, Nalaja. Thank you. So what is this play about? Well, this play is about a day in the life of a hurricane in the Lower East Side. You see a family, you follow a family, a beautiful, fabulous Puerto Rican family um, from the Lower East Side and the different inhabitants of the building that they live in as well as their neighborhood. So it's from basically morning to the next morning of this um, superstorm. How many characters do you portray? Twelve. And this is family members as well as neighbors and acquaintances? Absolutely. Family members, neighbors, acquaintances. You may or may not see some ancestors popping in. (laughs) And how much are you willing or happy to reveal about just kind of what happens in the course of the play? Sure. Well, um, as you can imagine, um, when a hurricane is predicted, most Well, I'll just say most New Yorkers know that uh, they'll take off a day of work. Um, They probably will buy way too much food, (laughs) bread, milk, um, water, and and tons of junk food um, because it's the end of the world. And there is this feeling from the, I guess it's the atmosphere, that something is going to happen. And so when you visit the Vegas. Um, The family is called the Vegas. Um, When you visit them, you find that uh, their elder son is actually, he's the youngest son. He is um, a Navy SEAL, a decorated Navy SEAL, just back from Afghanistan that morning. You also get a chance to meet his father, um, his sister, his eldest sister, and um, her daughter. Her daughter is named Candace. They lovingly call her Gandhi. And she has been living on life-sustaining equipment for the past four years after a brain aneurysm. She's about 15 years old. And so you can imagine with one family member coming in, the need for electricity and the great desire for electricity to stay on throughout the day um, from the family, the tension kind of gets pretty heightened throughout the day. And her condition, the 15-year-old's physical condition, her situation makes it, of course, difficult for the family to relocate. That's right. Absolutely. Early on, you get a sense that um, this is not a family that is going to just pop on into a shelter or walk to a shelter or uh, drive north, as um, the weather men and women like to say, go driving, (laughs) drive somewhere. Well, if you don't have a car, if you are in a wheelchair, if you're dependent on life-sustaining equipment, and also if maybe you've tried that before, tried doing the whole shelter thing, and it just wasn't um, conducive to good feelings, you may not go back. So, um, So this is that kind of family. 
We tend to judge people who don't obey evacuation orders in advance of uh, the arrival of a hurricane or fire or some other calamity. Is this show in part a reaction to this negative judgment that we sometimes have toward those people? Yeah, absolutely. It's um, just even recently with the last uh, hurricane and also with the campfire, I have the sense that um, there is this reporting that happens with deceased people that kind of blame them for not leaving. And um, I, I noticed this really abruptly during Hurricane Katrina. And um, then the reporting, it, it just kept sustaining with this kind of narrative of, well, they didn't leave. So it's kind of like when someone dies in a car accident and they say, but they weren't wearing their seatbelt. Well, you didn't know if the seatbelt wasn't working. You don't know if they were trying to put their seatbelt on, If you know. Um, and so, and so, yeah, I, I always... I was always kind of ticked off by that kind of reporting because I felt like, um, especially with Katrina, just a lot of folks could not leave their home or would not leave their home because that's all they had. Imagine your whole entire life in one home. You've got your dogs, you've got your cats, you've got your parakeets. You know, you have your life here and to go to the Astrodome or to go to a shelter where you know it's going to be full of people asking millions of questions. I think some people just choose to stick it out simply because they would rather die in their home than be emotionally triggered in a shelter. What does this one-woman show say about the power of community in times of disaster and impending disaster? Mm, I think that some communities, particularly those that um, they depend on each other anyway, probably because uh, there is not a lot of outside support, financial, government support. I mean, you could name the, the kind of support that um, they don't get in the Lower East Side, for instance, um, they have learned to stick by each other so that then when a hurricane does happen or 9-11 does happen, 9-11 was so close to Chinatown. I mean, the fact that no one talks about what 9-11 did to Chinatown is is a sacrilege. Um, but um, what winds up happening is you look to your left and you look to your right and you see no one helping but your neighbor and you know your neighbor and your neighbor either speaks your language or maybe your neighbor doesn't even speak your language, but at least you know your neighbor and you trust your neighbor. And so with the lower, in the Lower East Side, we have a lot of very tall buildings. I was raised on the 20th floor. So if you can imagine 100-year-old women and men living on the 20th floor during a hurricane, no electricity, no running water, well, who are going to be the first people to help Mrs. Applebaum's and Mrs. Rivera? those neighbors who know that they're up there in the darkness. And so, so yeah, this really is a love letter to those types of neighborhoods where folks really stick it out for one another, no matter who is coming to their rescue. They know that they'll be there for each other. So to say that this solo piece is full of colorful characters is a bit of an understatement. Um, how much of what you portray comes from specific memories of growing up on the Lower East Side amidst the the neighbors you knew and the people you encountered on the street? I'm going to say like 99% of it. <laughs> um, I am one of those people who when, um, when I live my life, even though I'm living my life, I'm also kind of recording. So I hear 
accents. I hear tones of voice. I hear um, what's said and what's not said. I definitely watch people's body language. And so I'm kind of recording it, not necessarily to use in a show, but just in life because it just feeds my soul to um, record folks. And so... um, because I have spent so much of my life recording these people, I feel like it's almost my duty as as an actor, as someone who loves physical theater, as someone who kind of has the clout to write a play and possibly have it be done at Berkeley Rep, uh, to really represent these people who I feel like are invisible, are invisible communities, or invisible people. And So that's really why I keep doing this work, to make sure that their lives were not in vain. Now, you have said, and I think it might have been to a Berkeley rep staffer, that you enjoy diving into the characters you portray and telling the truth within every soul. What does that mean to you, the truth within every soul? Hmm. There's something about... When you meet someone and you get a chance to just listen to them or even just listen to the silence that they hold and the silence around their body and how they hold the space in that silence, that feels like truth. To me, it's very easy to yap away, yap away and use a bunch of words to kind of hide how you're feeling. But it is in these moments when Mother Nature is creeping in and um, lights are shutting on and off and you kind of don't know what the next moment will hold. It's in the kind of silence and the breath that I feel the, the truth is. So I invite the audience to breathe with me because the truth is that when you walk into a theater, there is a kind of like an expectation. Is this going to be good? Is this going to be bad? Oh, I read reviews. Oh, I didn't read reviews. What's this about? Um, I hope I get my money's worth. But if we can breathe for a moment all together and remind each other that we have at least this in common of all things, Nilaja Sun is her name. She's an actor and playwright and teaching artist. Her one-woman show, Pike Street, is now at Berkeley Repertory Theater through December 9th. The show is directed by Ron Russell. And for more information and for tickets, you can visit berkeleyrep.org or call 510-647-2949. You mentioned the physical nature of this theater that you do and... You know, one thing I'm guessing will strike anyone who sees you is your physicality. Can you talk about that aspect of your performing and how you generate it and whether it comes naturally to you? Oh, yes, it absolutely comes naturally. (laughs) In fact, I always say if I could just do a solo piece with no words, I would. Um, So when I was growing up, I was a big fan of Carol Burnett big fan of Whoopi Goldberg, tremendous fan of Jim Carrey and Eddie Murphy. And and those are the people who made me realize that I can definitely tell stories. One can tell a story through their body. And so um, one of the reasons why when you do come to see Pike Street, you see physicality like bouncing off the walls is because um, 
A, New Yorkers are pretty physical people and loud people. Uh, but um, it's so much fun to me. It's just like, I feel like I'm a child again. And you all are my parents watching me, <laughs> me and um, in the living room. And so um, it is really a, oh, I just, it's one of the reasons why I'm on this earth. And what about the physicality of the, the male actors that you play? Because one thing that is astonishing, one thing among other things, among many other things that is astonishing about this piece is how convincing you are with your male characters. What's that like, the process of acquainting yourself with uh, the mannerisms and the postures and the movements that make your male characters seem authentic? I think that even though I am in this physical body of a woman, I consider myself a cis female. Um, I have always felt both masculine and feminine energies within me. And the thing about men, especially <laughs> older men, especially because when they're so quiet, oh, wow, you can really find the truth in someone's heart when they're really quiet and just sitting there. You know, you know your uncle who just sits there for Thanksgiving and you're like, is he ever going to talk? Does he have any <laughs> thoughts in his brain? Well, that's the kind of uncle and old kind of crotchety man that I am staring at. And I just love to watch older people. And um, well, I guess for, for the men, there is, because we do have this um, decorated Navy SEAL named Manny just coming back. We do have this Vietnam veteran who is his father. We do have his friend who is kind of bouncing off the walls, um, his neighborhood friend. Um, and we do have Mohammed, who is um, the bodega corner store owner. There is definitely a lot of masculine tension, but I I need it in my solo pieces. I need the masculine and the feminine or else it doesn't feel balanced. It doesn't feel like everyone's story is being told simply because I am in this um, female form in this incarnation doesn't mean um, that that I have not watched a million men uh, dipping it and doing it in their life. And I am ready to show it. <laughs> you certainly are. How important was it for you to address the topic of war and what it does to people in this particular show. So important, specifically because we're talking about a day in the life of a hurricane. So we're talking about wind, possible thunder, trees that are doing their thing, tons of noise. We're also talking about people who live under the shadow of the B train that goes on the Manhattan Bridge. So there's there's nothing but New York sounds, New York plus Mother Nature. And so if you can imagine, if you spend your days and nights in a war-torn country and then you come back home that first night, you're not going to be just back to normal, especially if it's during a big storm, superstorm. And so I wanted to, in a kind of quiet and not so quiet way, remind the audience that there are women and men still coming back from war and that PTSD is not necessarily something where someone necessarily just cracks. There are little things, little things like um, the opening up of a soda can or the, like I said, the thunder sound. Um, if you're used to being on guard all the time, you don't just go back home and relax. And so um, through the character of Manny, you get a chance to see 
his physical disintegration in a way as well as his mental disintegration, even though he is this um, um, well-awarded and appointed man of, um, of the Navy. Every character you portray has a history, and some of that history comes out, of course, in the course of the play. It's revealed to the audience. How much do you feel like you need to know about the history of each character, maybe even above and beyond what is revealed to the audience, so that you can fully inhabit that character, that you can make this person as authentic or as real as possible? Mm, I think that I'm always finding new things. (laughs) I am always finding new things. You know, I have a character in Pike Street named Mrs. Applebaum, and she is probably 100 years old. And she's lived through some stuff. I'm not going to tell you exactly what she's lived through. But um, the interesting thing about Berkeley Rep is I feel like a lot of people are either from the Lower East Side have family who live in the Lower East Side, or Mrs. Applebaum was their grandma. (laughs) So the laughter, the sweet laughter that I hear from the audience makes Mrs. Applebaum feel so appreciated on stage. And that is something that I can't hide, I won't hide. So in this case, I will say, fleshing out Mrs. Applebaum in Berkeley has been my absolute thing, (laughs) completely. And what does that do to you when a particular audience, maybe in a locale, really um, draws energy and appreciates a certain character in a very overt way to you? What does that do to you on stage? Does that change the way you perform in some way? Does that bring... Does that make you bring a certain kind of energy to that character that you might not in another place in front of another group of people? I try to um, be an equal opportunity performer. So, um, yeah, there will be moments when Tykeen, who is Manny's neighborhood friend, gets a lot of laughs. And for some reason, Tykeen really milks all of his laughs. Grandpa Poppy really milks all of his laughs. Um, And then there are times... um, when it is a very female-centric audience and they're very quiet. And I know that a lot of actors would go backstage and cuss out the audience <laughs> quietly, but but I feel the the kind of feminine quiet because then Gandhi's character is really, I feel like she's really heard and seen in her and everything that she is, as well as the character of Evelyn, who is the mother, the nurturing mother. So um, I appreciate all of it. And it's not to say that um, Berkeley only likes Mrs. Applebaum. You know, there's a love for all of the characters. And the great thing about Berkeley is that every audience is different. And the thing about Berkeley, too, is that you all are just so open. Like, when I perform... When I'm looking at the audience, I can see the I see the body language of each audience member. And also I can kind of in a way see like um light around around the audience members. And what I find with 
in some places. Okay, so in D.C., I see a lot of light around people's heads. So I know that they're super smart, very intellectual. Everyone's thinking politically. What does this play mean politically? In New York, it's more out of the... Um, the mouth, a lot of light out of the mouth and the kind of throat chakra. So there's a lot of laughter in New York and Pike Street. It's more like ah, that kind of laughter. Um, in Australia, it's it's <laughs> it's more it's kind of um, an amorphous kind of light, whereas folks are just trying to figure out, OK, what are these accents? Where are these people from? And here in Berkeley, the light resides in your bellies. So folks are, I feel, they're hearing the play from their bellies and, and from where the creative center is. And the light is also literal? You can see light? Yeah, I actually I actually can, because what happens is that when you're on stage by yourself for many, many shows, and I did my last show here at Berkeley 10 years ago. So I did that show about a thousand times, over a thousand times. You wind up seeing, instead of just the people, you see the 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 shadows of the people, but more than anything, you see their personalities, even if they're at the tip top, the last the last seat. You still see their personality. And it's helped me in my teaching as well. So when I am, um, I can walk into any classroom and, um, and just see the light. And then when I don't see the light coming out of a student, it usually means I have to really pay attention to them because they need extra, extra care. What's one thing you teach to students interested in solo performing? One thing that you teach that might, you know, surprise ordinary folks like me? Hmm. Okay, so here's one thing I teach. A lot of times my students will come up to me and say, how do you keep your attention span on the show? Because there are so many characters, there's so much to do. How do you keep it all tight? And I say, well, I try as much as I can to live in every moment. So I live in every moment when I'm off stage so that then when I'm on stage, I am in every moment on stage. I don't know if I was telling them that 10 years ago, but the reason why I tell them that now is because with our iPhones now, it's so easy to not live in the moment and to live in other people's lives and other people's worlds and pop out of your own life just to go into the future, go into the past, and not be in this moment. And then if most of your life you've been um, kind of stuck on your phone, God bless you, Steve Jobs, But <laughs> and I have an iPhone, <laughs> but if you're stuck on your phone and then you put it down and then you think you're going to just perform a play and know what you're doing at all moments, that's not going to happen because you have to, in essence, the way I live my life off stage is the way that my characters are breathing on stage. Nalaja Sun is an actor and playwright, and her one-woman piece, Pike Street, is now at Berkeley Repertory Theater through December 9th. 
Again, you can go to berkeleyrep.org for information and for tickets, or you can call 510-647-2949, 510-647-2949. Nalaja, pleasure meeting you. Congratulations on the show, and thanks so much for joining me. Thank you so much. I love it here at Berkeley. And I'm C.S. Song on Bay Area Theater for KPFA.